Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here. It's the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today, a very topical and seasonal show for you because we're going to be talking about Christmas trees. That's right. The old Tannenbaum. We're not going to sing, oh, Christmas tree, but we we might be verging on it because that's how excited I am about this episode. Got wonderful guests. I've got a Christmas tree producer and I've got the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association that are going to be joining us. Before we get to them, I want to remind you that this episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Harvest Profit, a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. You've got millions of dollars of capital deployed in your agricultural operation. Don't you need a software solution that can make sure you know where your dollars and cents are coming and going? Of course you do. Go to harvestprofit.com and see what you can do, how you can improve your business with the right software for your operation. I am so excited. I got Tim O'Connor. Executive Director or CEO, uh, you can give me your exact title, with the National Christmas Tree Association, and Casey Grogan of Silver Bells Tree Farm in Oregon. First off, Mr. O'Connor, thanks for being on the Business of Agriculture. Well, thank you, Damian. It's Tim, and it's Executive Director. Executive Director. And tell me real quickly, what does the National Christmas Tree Association do? Well, we're the advocate organization for the farm-grown Christmas tree industry. So, like... Typical agricultural associations, top priority on our list is being the voice, the spokesperson for the industry, which, as you said, Christmas trees are unique. We, we have a lot of interaction with the media at the Christmas season. Uh, everybody wants a Christmas tree story. Uh, they're not all positive. So we have a lot of engagement with the media. We do the public policy work. We lobby the federal government, the federal government agencies, we advocate for and defend against, uh, you know, public policy and regulatory actions that will favor or harm the industry. And, uh, you know, we have a membership of growers. Uh, we also have some allied industry you know, suppliers to the industry, like most associations do, that, that support us. But, our, you know, our primary goals are, are those, to be that that advocacy voice for the industry, whether it's public policy or the media or, you know, in, in any, any stream of discussion like that. Okay. Thank you. Casey Grogan, a Christmas tree grower in Oregon, uh, Silver Bells Tree Farm. Tell me about you and tell me about Silver Bells Tree Farm. Well, uh, dad started the farm um, when I was a baby. And so I've grown up kind of in the industry and uh, we're in Silverton, Oregon, which is in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, uh, kind of where the Cascades meet the Willamette Valley. Um, and uh, most of our trees are grown on kind of secondary farm ground. Uh, we produce about 400 acres of Christmas trees, primarily grow noble fir and Nordman fir. Okay. A couple of things. You just said um, uh, your father began the operation, so you're second generation, uh, and you said secondary uh, farm ground. Okay, so I got somebody listening to this that's in the food processing business. I got somebody listening to this that's in the cranberry bogs in Massachusetts. What do you mean? Uh, secondary farm ground would be uh, sort of up in the hills of the Cascades, so rockier ground 
where traditional crops wouldn't be produced. The Willamette Valley, uh, you know, has some of the most fertile agricultural land in, in our country and produces every kind of crop you can imagine. On um, the foothills, we're just above it there on rockier ground. And so really the only things you're going to find up here are Christmas trees, grass seed, and a couple new crops moving in, such as hazelnuts and wine grapes. Got it. So the 400 acres that you have would have possibly been pasture or something that was not, uh, you took, you took some of your subpar ground, if you will, the, and said, this is going to be Christmas tree acres. So do you have other acres down in the Valley that are your prime stuff? No, no, we don't. We're all, all up in the Hills on you know, Noble Fir and Nordman for actually prefer the secondary ground like that. They, they need a little elevation to them. They like well-drained soil that's slightly sloped. And uh, so they actually do better up there. You'll find um, Douglas fir, Grand fir, some of the other species like that down in the valley. I see. All right, we're going to talk about species of trees, but big overview, because it's always fun for people to do overview. I've got friends of mine that listen to this that aren't ag people, and they use this as a resource for ag stuff. Give me some numbers. He, uh, Casey, is in Oregon, and Tim, you told me before we started recording, Oregon is the number one Christmas tree producing state. Is, uh, is that accurate? That is accurate. Give me the top and five. The top five, and uh, I can rattle off pretty easily here. Oregon is number one. Uh, North Carolina is number two. Michigan is number three. Pennsylvania is number four. And Wisconsin is number five. Okay. Now, the thing about Christmas trees is, is uh, it's harder to ship a Christmas tree probably than it is to ship, uh, uh, you know, a deck of cards. So um, you named a bunch of states there. Oregon's number one producer. Um, and I would think of when I think about what uh, Mr. Grogan just described as Christmas tree habitat, you know, the right kind of growing conditions. We got rocky, slightly elevated uh, places, you know, all over the country. But Oregon could probably produce enough to cover a lot more than they do. Is transportation the reason that we have them in Pennsylvania? Because Pennsylvania can supply the Northeast? Is that what's going on there? It might be some of it. I, I think the balance of the industry has developed where, like other sectors of agriculture, there's areas of specialization. Um, there are growers who grow to sell to wholesale buyers. And so they grow bigger acreages, they cut trees, they load them on semi-trucks, they deliver them to buyers who operate retail locations. And then there are growers who work on the smaller end of the scale. Uh, they have consumers come to their farm. In the industry, we call them choose and cut farms. Mm -hmm. Consumers come to the farm, they choose a tree, mm -hmm. and they cut it. And so primarily when you look at the East, outside of North Carolina, what you're looking at is a larger footprint of choose and cut operations where there's more population. So there are farms closer to populated areas. And many of those growers are selling their trees direct to consumers rather than shipping wholesale. Whereas in the West, the business has developed to be primarily the wholesale business and they're shipping trees other places. And North Carolina does a lot of wholesale shipping as well. A lot of shipping. Okay. Casey, yeah. I'm assuming your, your business model is you grow trees, you cut them. They, you, tell me about your business model, but yours is not direct to consumer. Like m mom and dad and the kids don't come out and pull a sled around with a hatchet uh, at your place, right? Yeah, that's correct. We're a wholesale grower. So um, 
we're shipping everything in 53 foot over the road semi trucks um, direct to uh, whomever our end retailer is, whether that's, you know, mo most of our customers are independent retailers. Uh, we ship to garden centers, small chain stores. Uh, we'll sell to other growers so that they can uh, mix the trees in their yard and send them off to their customers as well. Okay, so you sell to other growers that, that maybe produce trees, but they don't produce Douglas or Noble. Or is that what the two you said yours are? Noble and? Noble and Nordman for. Nor Noble and Nordman. So there's somebody that doesn't produce Noble and Nordman, and they say, we want to be able to satisfy our customer base. So you're swapping with them. Is that the deal? Uh, th there's a lot of swapping that goes on. It's not always that. It's just uh, meeting the numbers. It's always a numbers game. So if they don't have enough Noble fur to satisfy their customer base, they'll uh, buy them from me uh, to uh, increase their numbers to get enough to sell to their customers. And uh, vice versa, I'll do that on my end too, if I need to uh, to supplement my inventory. Okay. So uh, 400 acres, tell me about the process because, you know, ag people love to know how stuff is produced because we are producers after all. Um, tell me how, okay, you get a twig, uh, a sapling, you stick it in the ground and some rocky soil. Uh, yeah. Take me from there. I'll, I'll do my best to try and make it quick. Obviously, it's a long process and a lot goes into it. But, uh, you know, it starts with the seed that you get to produce the seedling. And we're looking for uh, strong genetics with the seed. Um, many people, including our local association, have planted seed orchards to actually improve those genetics over the years where we'll rogue out anything that we have a problem with, disease, um, needle loss, and try and uh, up the genetics of those trees. And so although a lot of seed is picked still out of natural forests, um, we're trying to always find the best genetics we can. That seed is taken to the nursery and planted in the nursery, um, either as a plug, which is grown in a greenhouse. A plug, or a, plug is, a plug is something about the size of my pen, yeah? Uh, maybe, maybe slightly bigger, would be grown in a, in a styrofoam containers inside a greenhouse and a soil medium. And then uh, the other common would be a bare root seedling, which would actually be produced outside, seeds put in the ground and it's grown outside. Uh, that's usually comes out as what we would call a 2-0, which is a two-year seedling. It can be a 3-0, so it takes a couple years to get those up. Um, so while those are growing in the seedling, we're preparing our ground. Um, you know, if it's ground that's been in production, we'll grind the stumps out with a, a stump grinder or some guys pull it with an excavator and burn the stumps off so that we can get in there and subsoil the ground and disc it and get the soil worked. Um, and then uh, we'll go in and, and plant either with a machine or a shovel plant. If we're doing large plantings into new ground that's been disced up, uh, we'll use a machine to do it. Um, once they're planted, um, We'll, after we let them grow for a year or two, of course, the whole time controlling weeds and uh, whatnot, then we uh, will basil prune the trees, which we call putting a handle on them, essentially taking the bottom branches off so that they uh, grow up and have a handle on them to fit in a tree stand. Ah, okay. So that's what basil trimming means. By the way, do you produce your own uh, saplings or you buy that from somebody that specializes just in producing, taking them from uh, from seed to a two-year-old sapling? Yeah, we, we uh, have somebody grow the sapling for us. We have our own seed that uh, we give to them and then they grow the uh, seedling for us in, in the nursery and uh, we'll go pick that up out of their cooler and plant it each spring or fall. 
All right, so you're sticking a two-year-old, maybe a three-year-old in the ground after you've ground out the stumps or excavated out the stumps, uh, you know, from the previous cuts, because obviously it's like a crop. You, you know, it's just it's like corn or soybeans or anything else. It's just that your crops take longer. You stick a two-year-old in the ground. Starting when do you go out and do the trimming? A few more years? Um, yeah, we'll wait maybe two years, and then we're actually in there and making sure they're growing up straight. So we'll put a, a stick in them, pull them over, cut out double tops in there to uh, make sure they're growing correctly and uh, do Cutting that. Cutting out double tops because everybody wants one, one top of a tree so they can put their star on it, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. And when, when they're young, they will produce multiple kind of uh, shoots coming out of there. So you want to make sure you're taking those out of there. So you just have them uh, one solid shoot growing up. Okay. Uh, throughout the process. So you got, you got hired, you got hired laborers to go out uh, and do this tree trimming thing. Yep. Yep. We, uh, on our farm, we have our own crew. We have uh, a couple guys that are working year round. Um, some guys use contract labor in the area. And uh, tell me about trimming them. Uh, what am I doing? Am I using a chainsaw? Am I using a machete? Am I using a scissors? What am I doing to trim these trees up? Uh, you, we're, we're using pruners, uh, Felco pruners, um, hand pruners. We'll just go out there and trim them up. And, um, yeah, we use bamboo sticks and, uh, Kind of like bread twisters, we call them twisty ties. Yep. Um, to shape, to, to, to shape. Tie, yeah, to tie, tie the leader up straight um, to the bamboo stick with the twisty ties. All right. So uh, most people probably want a, a five to eight foot tall tree. Uh, when are we cutting these trees? Well, it's going to obviously depend on species. They all grow at different rates. If you're talking a Douglas fir, which is very popular here in the Northwest, that's a faster growing tree. Um, and you know, you're going to harvest that probably between six and eight years. Um, and if you're talking a noble fir, which would be considered a more high end tree, uh, better needle retention, um, that can take, you know, you might get in there at eight years and, um, harvest, maybe clear cut the field at 10, 11, 12 years. Okay. So you said it, like, for instance, I've got a six foot noble fir in my uh, house. Um, I, I, uh, it did not come from you. It came from Washington state and I bought it at Fry's, which is a Kroger uh, outlet here in Arizona. Um, that tree you said might've been eight foot, eight years old to get to be six foot tall. And is, is that eight years from the time you put in the ground or eight years from seed? Because it was two years when it came to your farm. That'd be eight years on our farm. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you, if you include the, you got it. Yeah. If you include the two years from the nursery, yeah, you're, you're 10 years there. All right. So the way I got into this, uh, the reason we're doing this topic is because of a wall street journal article that was just uh, this week uh, saying that there's a Christmas tree shortage and they quoted Mr. Grogan. And I uh, went and found my, my friend here, Tim O'Connor with the uh, Christmas tree association. We're going to delve into that after we take this small commercial break to remind you that harvest profit is a software solution that you could utilize on your farming operation or any agricultural enterprise, I assume, where you have a lot of inputs and outputs and things that you need to track. Let's face it, it's, it's beyond being able to just write this on the back of a seed corn pad. You've got a lot of dollars in play. Use a software solution that helps your operation be more profitable. Also, we're going to take this time to do a little toast. I should have told Tim and Casey we were going to do this, but the agricultural, the Georgia Agricultural Commodity Commission for Milk 
has me in working with them on a contractual promotional basis to help them sell more of this wonderful, nutritious white product. 34,000 dairy operations around the United States of America want you to remember that milk is good for you and it is good for the agricultural and rural economy. So you know what? Toast some milk. This time of year, Christmas, don't piss off Santa and put out some energy drink. Put out the real thing, milk. None of that nut milk crap. None of this rice milk stuff. There's no such thing. Those are alternative juices. They are not milk. Put the real thing out there, milk and cookies for Santa. All right. Tim O'Connor. I'm picking up my Wall Street Journal, and there it is right there. It says, tight Christmas tree supply means eight-footers can fetch $2,000. I read that headline. I'm like, $2,000? That was in Hong Kong, by the way. And then yeah. the article went on to say, as you uh, and I both pointed out, the media sometimes wants to tell its own story, and they'll sometimes let facts get in the way of that. But usually, yeah. Is there a Christmas tree shortage in the United States of America? There's a tight supply as the supply has been reduced to balance with demand, but there's not a shortage. There's also, a, a, in my view, and Casey may disagree with me on this, but I, as I watch the industry from a national point of view, there's a wholesale distribution issue for certain. Uh, but the reality is the media has been talking about a shortage since 2015. Okay. Every year there are a lot of stories. There's a shortage of Christmas trees. I have yet to hear any community in the entire United States of America that ran clear out of Christmas trees and you couldn't find one. Mm -hmm. Now we all experienced in March and April, you couldn't find toilet paper, right. you couldn't find flour, you couldn't find cleaning products. That's a shortage. You could buy a Christmas tree right up to December 24th in every community in America. That's not a shortage. Now, some farms and lots ran out, yes, but somewhere else, not too far away, you could still buy a tree. So what, what happened is the industry had an oversupply for a long time. And agriculture is famous for this. Prices are good. We grow a lot. Suddenly, we grew too much. Prices go in the toilet. What do we do? Oh, my God, that hurts. We plant less. Mm -hmm. But as you've been hearing from Casey, his cycle's a lot longer than a corn or soybean farmer. Sure. Once his trees are in the ground, those suckers keep growing. He's out there trimming them. Yeah. He's taking care of them. And finally, they reach it to market. So that oversupply hung over the industry for a long time. So when finally growers had enough of that pain, and then we had a recession that hit that didn't help, mm -hmm. they planted less trees. Well, now we have less trees, but it's right size to consumer demand. We sold 26.2 million trees last year. 26.2 million natural, real Christmas trees were sold in the United States of America, or is that all? Yes, in the, in the U.S., farm-grown trees from growers like Casey. And those, that was last year, so this year those numbers are going to be the same or up a little bit? Because I know that this article talked about everybody and their sister decided they're going to bake cookies because they're, they're, they're staying at home, which I'm not really convinced that these people are staying at home. When I drive by the Walmart, it doesn't look to me like everybody is staying at home. But anyway, they're buying more trees because of the smell or they want to, you know, re rekindle their childhood or their, the joy. There was a bit more of a run on real Christmas trees this year than previous years because of the whole coronavirus thing. Am I right? 
absolutely right. You know, many of our members, and particularly those who are in the choose and cut portion of the business, are reporting record crowds. And, you know, growers like Casey are in the wholesale business. They've had buyers chasing them for the last 12 months. I want trees, I want trees, I want trees. And, you know, every wholesale grower sold every tree they had available. Casey, uh, question for you. I want to get back to that, Tim, but sorry. Yeah. Uh, in a year like this, you see these headlines, and then you hear that people are paying a, a lot. Do you think, hey, we got this one field over here. Let's just go ahead and put out the sign and say, choose and cut, or you pick, or whatever you call those things, and let the people come out there. Is that tempted you to go direct to consumer and put a little more margin in your pocket? No, it's not. Um, you know, what, what's important to us is to continue to keep the relationship with our customer base that we've uh, taken, you know, decades to develop. And that means, you know, if a guy's been buying 4,000 trees from you for 25 years, you want to have those 4,000 trees for that guy next year and the customers that are buying off of his lot. Um, you know, so I don't want to put a sign up out there and have people run in and cut all my trees out. And then I, I, uh, can't be loyal to those people that have been loyal to me. Smart business. Uh, back to Tim. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about that. So 26.2 million. What's the expectation for this year? Uh, if 26.2 is 2019 numbers, are we going to sell 20% more than that this year? You know, it's hard to put a, a figure on it because, well, the supply has already been fixed. It was fixed 10 years ago when sure. Casey and other growers put those trees in the ground. So, with a surge in demand, we can't go just make new trees. Right. But what's going to happen uh, based on, we know record numbers of people coming out to get trees because 2020 has been such a crappy year that people did want to celebrate and people who used to travel to grandma's house or wherever staying home, they want a tree, all that's going on. Uh, and we're hearing stories of, you know, oh, I haven't had a real tree in years but we're going to get one this year, or I never had one. We're going to get one this year. Um, what we think is going to happen is there's going to be a more complete sell through. We heard this from the garden center industry. We, we sell a lot of trees as Casey was saying through garden centers. And so we network with them. We actually our lobbying side of our industry is in a partnership with the, uh, with the greenhouse and garden center industry. Uh, so we know them well, they had a record spring. Well, they didn't automatically have a whole bunch more plants to sell when, you know, April came around and they were getting run over by people that wanted to plant more stuff in their home gardens and yards because they were home more now, but they sold a higher percentage of their inventory. And that's what we're going to have that, you know, again, despite the headlines and screaming shortage, 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 what we've seen every year is people end up on December 24th with trees that have been cut and they haven't sold them. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't have a, you know, hundred percent sell through. Right. And so this year it's going to be a lot closer to that. So I don't know how many more trees will sell, but I think it'll be significant. We'll see it. We'll feel it. It's real. You know, my growers are telling me, my members that, you know, the Christmas tree business is primarily done on three weekends, starting the day after Thanksgiving. Yep. Record number of people coming that weekend of Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, many sold out uh, quicker than ever. Uh, we had some who opened a week early because so much demand was being asked of them by consumers. When are you opening? When are you open? We can't wait. So, you know, I mean, I've had conversations with the media in the last few days. I mean, 
about the shortage. And I'm like, you know what? It's pretty much over. 95% or more of the trees are sold already. You know, it's already December 15th. We've had three big weekends of selling Christmas trees. They're pretty much all in the homes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about money, if you're okay with that. Uh, I paid $54.99 for my Christmas tree. Uh, I think it was $55. It might have been $59.99, but I'm quite certain it was $54.99 because I, I pay attention as an agricultural economist farm boy. Um, are you okay telling me how much of a $55 retail tree do you get, Casey? Um, I would say you're <laughs> uh, probably getting a pretty good price on that tree in your location there. If it's a noble fir, um, we're getting, if that's the case, we're probably getting quite a bit of that. Uh, you know, I, I think it's not uncommon at all for trees in places like Southern California to be selling for well over a hundred dollars. And, uh, when you're looking at a tree like that, we're getting, uh, well under half of what that tree costs. Okay. So, are you okay telling me that uh, you get 30 to $40 for a six foot tree that sells for double that? Is that what we're talking about? Approximately. Yeah. You might get half, you might get half of what retail price is depending of course on what the retailer is charging. Exactly. Okay. So are you making money? Because I can talk to my corn and soybean people and they're like, hey, man, we bailed it out here at the end because commodity prices went up starting in July, which usually heading into harvest does not happen because it turns out the stock reports were off. And then we picked up a little bit of a trade. Uh, so, you know, prices rallied 20%. Up until then, these farmers thought, yeah, we're going to lose so many dollars per acre. It turns out they actually did end up about losing, depending on how their crop was marketed, so many dollars per acre. I'm wondering, in the Christmas tree business, is I don't hear about the farm service agency rolling out programs to prop up, um, you know, Christmas tree growers the way they might for corn and soybean producers. Tell me a little bit about the money part of it, if you can. Uh, Christmas tree business is what I would call the wild west. It, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of structure to it. They're all uh, mostly handshake deals. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the prices, yes, we are making money now. Um, which is a relief because 10 years ago, we definitely were not. Trees were being sold at under the cost of production and a lot of farmers went out of business. Um, you know, I think at least half in our area. And, you know, I, I, not necessarily that they went out of business, but maybe switched to other crops. Um, you know, Christmas trees are extremely labor intensive and it's a lot of work, uh, you know, to have all that, you know, have to pay for all that labor and not make any money. So, um, I, I would say now, nowadays we're making a good profit on the trees, um, you know, and uh, whether, you know, supply and demand dictates all of that. And uh, right, right now we're on the wholesale end in a good situation, but I'm sure it'll bounce back in reverse. We're just, as a grower, I'm hoping for um, all these wild swings that we've had to uh, not be so wild. Um, and, and I think consumers are probably hoping for that as well, I would think. Absolutely. Mr. Tim, um, 
you talked about the difference between uh, choose and cut. You know, mom and dad come out with the sleigh and 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 go out. I, I toured a place in my home state of Indiana about a decade ago, and they they talked about the three weekend uh, situation, and then they would get. Um, uh, there's an organization that has these like dogs that pull sleds. And that was a, a, one of their little offerings. That way people got to play with the dogs and feed them a milk bone and, and, and all this kind of thing. So it's a, it's a very special event. It's also a very time crunch event. You got three weeks out of 52 to, you know, to do that. What's the split between guys like Casey and then um, somebody that does the choose and cut? How many of the trees are cut by mom and dad and the kids with a sleigh? It's about a 75-25 split. About 75% of the business is done as pre-cut wholesale trees. People like Casey Grogan. People like Casey. Uh, there's a little bit of a funny wrinkle in there uh, that a third of the trees are sold on farms. But the choose and cut grower will bring trees in from another grower like Casey to either supplement the total number of trees they have or the types of tree varieties they have to offer because trees grow in, in different regions of the country. So, you know, you're growing Indiana isn't growing the, 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 noble, firs, the, the noble firs or the Fraser firs uh -huh. that are grown in, in the East. So they'll typically, if they have a good customer base, want to bring them in. And, and so in addition to the trees that they grow on their farm, they have a, a display of pre-cut trees. So about a third are sold on the farm, but about 75% are pre-cut, and sold at some form of retail. Certainly, it makes sense, makes sense. Hey, Casey, back to money. Uh, everybody talks about, you know, my, one of my farmer buddies back in Indiana used to be singing the blues by about uh, mid-late summer because, uh, you know, cash flow situations. You've got uh, a bunch of stuff you can sell right out of the field. And I said, you know, you plant some wheat. Just plant yeah, some wheat out there so you can at least have some, uh, some, uh, something to sell right out of the field in July. You definitely have a seasonality. You start cutting these trees, I'm assuming sometime in the fall. Give me the, the, the thing about that. You, you're selling all your trees in about, all of your crop happens in about, sells about, what, between October something and November something, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, you know, the, the majority of it is shipped out on the wholesale end like we're doing the week before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, probably I would say 85% of our crop is shipped out in 10 days, um, you know, on maybe 150 trucks that come through our far, farm in 10 days and they're gone. Um, as far as cash flow goes, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you got to be organized. Uh, lots of growers have other crops they're working with. Um, we don't, we're, we're strictly Christmas trees. So, um, yeah, you know, you just, uh, hope you make enough to cash flow throughout the year. And if you don't, you go find yourself an operating line and just try to make it season to season. Uh, that's the story of production agriculture. Um, 400 acres you guys produce. You've got a couple of hired hands. Like you said, it's a very labor intensive business. You do keep those hired guys with you all year long, right? Yep. Um, so based on the time horizon, I'm going to say then of the 400 acres you've got, you're turning over about 40 to 60 of those acres every year. Is that the right Pretty number? Pretty accurate, yep. yep. Okay. How many trees does that amount to? I know it varies by species a little bit, but roughly speaking, how many trees per acre? Um, it, it depends on what kind of spacing you're planting these trees on, and everybody can do that a little bit differently. Um, you know, we're 
on our farm recently we've been planting on a five and a half by four spacing and are getting close to 2,000 trees an acre. Okay, at five and a half by four uh, spacing, that's 2,000 trees per acre. Roughly. Uh, yeah, I got it. That's good. And dear listener, if you don't know this, an acre is 43,560 square feet. So if you do those math right there, 43,560 square feet and divide it out, then they'll probably give you the spacing in case you just talked about. Uh, the industry, uh, 26.2 million trees. I don't know what if you're allowed to tell me what the gross is at the farm level, but it's it's a business. You know, this, this guy is trying to make a living out here at Silver Bell's Tree Farm. What battles do you face? Tim, what battles do you face uh, besides imported plastic crap from China that people call Christmas trees? Besides that, what, what, are, you, what are you facing? Well, I'm going to have to say, though, Damien, that's number one, uh, without a doubt. Which thing? The, the imported crap yeah. in China. That's number one. That stole a bunch of market share over the years. Yep. Um, number two is really uh, the, the, the misinformation, the misunderstanding that people have about a real Christmas tree. Uh, some people think a real tree is bad for the environment because they think they're all growing in the forest yeah. And they've been taught since they, you know, were in kindergarten, you don't cut trees down. Yeah. And they don't understand it's a crop that growers like Casey spend a lot of time preparing. And as soon as they harvest it, they plant the nest crop in the ground. And so it's a perpetual production system on a farm. It's not a tree in the forest. When you cut it, it's gone forever. Right. They also don't, um, don't understand, you know, I, I like to put this, thought in people's head, you know, picture two videos on your screen. There's two kinds of family Christmas. You can have one where the family gets in the car and, and goes somewhere to find a, a real tree, whether it's at a lot or a farm, but there's a, you know, there's, there's a hunt. There's an experience of picking out that real tree and, you know, the smell and the, the whole thing. You put it on the car, you drive it home, all kinds of fun stuff happens. Or you got the family on the other screen, dad, drags a dusty box out of somewhere, bangs his head on the pipes or the attic beam, cusses like a sailor, slaps that piece of plastic up, and there's your Christmas, boys and girls. Yeah. And it's which Christmas do you want for your family? And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a matter of education. And, and what we're seeing, and it's good news, is that as these younger generations uh, of consumers come of age and they have their own families, they care about the environment. They make spending decisions. And when they're educated to understand that, as uh, the cowboys in the beef industry I used to work for would say, it's fall off your horse simple. Growing a tree on a farm is better for the environment than a PVC plastic tree made in a factory in China. Like, yeah. That's a brainer. I appreciate you saying that. You know, before I ever even uh, had this podcast started, I was the Christmas tree uh, proponent. My wife and I go uh, <laughs> to a grocery store here in Arizona where we spend our winters and we pick up a real tree. And I always put it on social media. I always take pictures of it. And this year I made a spoof that we hopped in the on the sleigh, which was the Ford F-150, and glided down, you know, through the wintry meadow uh, on a 72-degree uh, afternoon <laughs> in Phoenix. But it's very important to me because it is an agricultural 
natural product. A Chinese-made artificial tree is bad for the environment. It's using uh, fossil fuels to be, you know, I find it interesting, the same folks that think, I oh, shouldn't cut down a tree. Somehow, the same people are protesting against, uh, you know, driving their Prius and protesting against all these environmental wrongs slap up a, a plastic tree. So I'm a big proponent of it. I want to support guys like Casey. How many Christmas tree farmers are there in the United States of America? Anybody? Roughly 15,000. 15,000. And, and then you being the number one state, uh, are one f- third of them, one fifth of them, how many are in just Oregon? Um, Oregon's probably harvesting in the range of five to six million trees a year. Oh, that's a lot. So on 400 acres, does that make you a normal-sized, big-sized, little-sized Christmas tree producer? I, I would say maybe medium, medium to large, I suppose. There's uh, a, a, probably a handful of farms that are extremely large in our area. Um, we're certainly not one of those, but um, there, there's not a whole lot of medium-sized farms, actually, either. You know, most farms are going to be under 100 acres, probably. They're going to be around 100 acres or less. Well, is it because the labor, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said something really interesting, Tim. You said that uh, the issue of misunderstanding that, you know, some poor little kid has a, a, a bleeding heart uh, school teacher that tells him that, uh, you know, cutting down trees means that Bambi doesn't have a place to live or some crazy stuff like that. When in reality, it's an agricultural product. It's, it's very good for the environment because uh, trees on a five and a half by four foot spacing, you're making sure you talk about carbon sequestration uh, right there. What we're doing good for the environment. And uh, obviously it's habitat also. So there's wildlife that lives in his fields and there's uh, the, you know, the respiration and transpiration, all those things about our hydrologic cycle that happens. So it's all very, very good. Maybe then I would encourage the people listening or watching this podcast, share this with anybody, you know, so then they can understand what good things come out of Christmas tree production. Tell me something else that the average person doesn't know about the industry or Christmas trees in general, either of you, Tim start. Well, I'll add to that because that environmental story is really a big part of converting people over. But the other part, again, with these young consumers is they like to spend their money where they, they know where it's going and they like to support local businesses. And so buying a farm grown Christmas tree hits that square in the bullseye. You're buying a tree. You can know the story of where the tree came from. You can understand it was done on a farm that employs people and buys goods and services in the local community instead of buying a hunk of plastic that was made in the factory in China by a a nameless, faceless corporation. So that's a positive thing that's resonating as well with young consumers. And, you know, all these stories add up. I mean, when you start looking at the things that people value today and the direction that I think younger consumers are going, it's, it's really all in favor of a real tree. And, and the idea that this unfortunate pandemic we're all living with has put some push towards people having a more traditional Christmas experience, a a more authentic, real Christmas experience. I think it's all going to be quite positive for the industry. You know, and and I think the other other thing that I think is really interesting about Christmas trees to me as a longtime fan of Christmas trees before I ever started working with the industry is, it's just one of the more interesting and enjoyable parts of agriculture. You know, you, you've got these beautiful trees. If you ever see a Christmas tree farm, it's talk about a postcard picture. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're just gorgeous. And 
and the joy they bring, they're, they're produced just for families to bring home and celebrate in their home. That's the whole point of having one. I, I mean, you're, you're preaching the choir here. My wife and I, it is a tradition. Um, we, we put up that real tree. I would never have an artificial. I have, I have a little teeny bush that we put in my office, and it's only so I can put the leg lamp lights on it from a Christmas story. But we have our Chris, real tr- Christmas tree people. The joy, like you said, is very important. We put on Christmas music. We decorate it, and it's just – you know, it's my one night of being like HGTV. And I, before I moved, before I started wintering in Arizona, when I was still back at the, my farm year round, I always thought it was also neat that I could support a local cause. I would buy my Christmas trees from the Lions Club because they use their money to do what Lions Club do, you know, helping children and eyesight and, you know, uh, eyeglasses for the poor and things like that. So that's the other great part about it. Something about Christmas trees that I wouldn't know or you'd like people to know or just something you want to share with us, Mr. Casey. Um, you know, the, the one thing um... – I guess since we're on the topic, I, you know, I just want to thank people that are buying a real tree, uh, being the farmer that grows them. Um, I really appreciate the people that go out and, and support, you know, support me as a farmer here in the United States, uh, rather than supporting uh, something that's imported from overseas. Uh, you know, I, I think Tim might have the exact number, but I believe most of the trees displayed in America, I think it's close to 80% are actually artificial trees. And so, I mean, it's, it's a serious concern from us, uh, concern for us that um, that's going to keep cutting into our market share and we're just going to dwindle away. um, Especially with, you know, the Christmas tree industry as a whole getting older and older. Um, You know, we, we, it's been great during this, this pandemic to see people, you know, have, have this resurgence of wanting to go out and have an experience of a real Christmas tree you know, I, I kind of wish the uh, supply situation was different right now and that um, trees were a little cheaper for everyone. I understand they're a little more expensive than, than they want them to be. But, um, boy, we sure appreciate people supporting us. Yeah, I was going to buy one no matter what because that's just how I do things. Now, I know there's some folks that aren't fortunate, uh, but uh, – I appreciate you guys being on here. This has been a, a fun episode and I'm glad we can also correct the, the thing. And Hey, you know what? I don't think anybody listening to this, unless they're listening from Hong Kong had to pay $2,000, but that's apparently what a Christmas tree went for in Hong Kong. You know what? I'm guessing you'd cover the shipping. If you could sell, I bet you Casey silver bells tree farm. If they, if you wanted to uh, figure out a way you'd probably cover the shipping. If you get $2,000 for all your trees, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It looks like I need to make an export price list. It sounds like it. All right. If people want to contact you because they have a question about Christmas trees, they want the real data, not the media-driven agenda that there's shortages, that we're all dying, that there's no no Christmas tree. If they want to find you, Tim O'Connor, National Christmas Tree Association, your website. It's realchristmastrees.org. Or if you Google Google National Christmas Tree Association, it comes up. What's that? If you Google National Christmas Tree Association, it goes right there. And so if a, a person listening to this says, I'd like to hear some of that data, or if you want to sound smart at the Christmas uh, family get-together, if you're not in California, you're allowed to get together with your family at Christmas, um, you know, you can sit there and say, did you know there's 15,000 Christmas tree growers in the United States of America, and there's about 5 million acres of Christmas tree farms in just Oregon, the number one producing state. So you can share all these data points, you can go there. And if they want to find you uh, at Silver Bell's Tree Farm, Mr. Casey Rogan. Uh, silverbellsblue.com is our website, or you can Google Silverbells Tree Farm and we should pop up. And uh, my email's on there, and yeah, just shoot us an email. 
I really appreciate you guys being on here. It's a great topic. I was glad to cover it. And uh, you know what, dear listener, last reminder that this podcast was brought to you by the good people at Harvest Profit. You can go to harvestprofit.com and use their software for a 14-day free trial. So if you want you know, to look at the new year and say, I want to be more profitable, I want to look at my agricultural enterprise with a different lens, start by going to harvestprofit.com and seeing if that software will work for you. And also thank you to our friends at the Georgia Agricultural Commodity Commission for Milk. I drink all my milk. It's whole milk because you know what? Whole milk is 96.75% fat-free for those of you that are concerned about it. Thanks a lot for being on. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Casey. I'm glad you had a good year. Tim, keep fighting a good fight for real Christmas trees. And you know you got a fan right here. Thank you, Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you, Damien. Thanks for being on. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.